0: Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so He has dealt with us. Fathers, we open now this second to last book, at least in the order of of our Scriptures. Your Word, Father, as we come toward the end truly of the Hebrew Scriptures, once again we recognize how amazing Your plan is. How intricately woven every word is of the Bible is every word of God spoken every word of God written and how from beginning to end from Genesis to Revelation from the first breath of Adam to the very last breath of man you have planned everything perfectly that you have a divine purpose and we thank you Lord that you sent the prophets to the fathers to to speak your word in so many different portions and ways We thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us through Jesus the Son. Give us ears to hear, even this morning, what Jesus would have to say to us. Lord Jesus, we bow to your authority with listening ears and hopeful hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it was the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 46 verse 9, who quoted the Lord saying, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. To me, it's one of the Father's most wonderful and endearing qualities. He does not forget His complete, comprehensive, unfailing, incorruptible memory. Which is how He can say something 6,000 years ago and fulfill it today. Because He doesn't forget. We say things all the time that we forget. You know, I said that... I. Did I really? I don't remember saying that. Well, we don't. But his memory is flawless. The Lord remembers. That's also the meaning of Zechariah's name. Zechariah, the Lord remembers or he whom the Lord remembers. It's even more personal. He whom the Lord remembers. And he did. He would 500 years after Zechariah comes along and prophesies, long after Zechariah himself was likely martyred, the Lord remembers Zechariah. Matthew twenty-three thirty-two. Jesus, in one of those rare moments, is hot under the collar and is getting after the Pharisees, calling them out. He says, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents! You brood of vipers! How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Jesus could preach it. And He did. The blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Whom you murdered. And Jesus remembers Him. The Lord remembers. Now, there are those Bible scholars who say, something's wrong here because we have in 2 Chronicles 24-21, back in the days of Joash, in the pre-exilic days of Judah, another Zechariah was stoned to death in the court of the first temple. Actually, by the order of Joash. But Jesus... Says here, Zechariah, son of Berechiah. The Zechariah in Second Chronicles is not the same Zechariah. So, which one was murdered? And I would submit both were. That you had a Zechariah back in Second Chronicles who was murdered who spoke the Word of God. And you have now in the post-exilic days, after the return from Babylon, you have Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. You see, God remembers. And Jesus does not slip up when He says, Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Oh no, what He meant was this other Zechariah. No. No, He meant Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. So we have two Zacharias murdered in the temple courts. Which tells us that the sins of the Father are so often visited on the sons. That the sins of the fathers are so often repeated by the sons. And that's why God says, I will come to every generation. I will visit upon the third and the fourth generation. The sins of the fathers and of the grandfathers. What's He saying as we've talked about? I will come to each successive generation and see, are you following after their sins? Or are you following after My Son? Are you doing what they did? Or are you doing what I have called you to do? Parenting is never an excuse for my behavior, good or bad. Will you do in this generation what I've called you to do? And so Jesus refers to Zacharias on a Barakiah prophet of the second temple period. And the point is this, the Lord remembers. He remembers. Now, as we open this new book for us, new to us in our studies According to Ezra and Nehemiah both, Haggai Haggai and Zechariah both returned to Jerusalem with the exiles. These are the post-exilic prophets. Haggai was probably the older prophet... Zechariah, the younger prophet, Haggai perhaps born even in Judah prior to the captivity. We don't know for sure, but he was apparently an older man when they came back. Zechariah was a younger man when they came back, which we think because Zechariah 2 verse 4 seems to indicate his youthfulness. We'll talk about more on Wednesday. But it's interesting, together you've got these two men, both post-exilic prophets, An older man and a younger man. The crusty codger and the young encourager. Why would I say that about Haggai? Because as we saw, his whole message was get to work. Get off the couch, turn off the TV, and mow the lawn. Build the temple. Get moving. And as we've talked about with Haggai, in three short months, that was his message. A motivational message. Build the temple of the Lord. Let's go. And that's the last we hear from Haggai. Zechariah comes along at the same time. In fact, just two months into Haggai's brief prophetic career, suddenly now Zechariah joins him and he begins to prophesy. Perhaps he was a protege of Haggai. We don't know, but the two were both there and the two were both prophesying at exactly the same time, 520 B.C. (laughs) Ezra tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, when the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them supporting them. See, that's what prophecy does. is It supports. It bears up so Zechariah comes along in the month of Heshvan. Heshvan, which would be our November time frame, 520 B.C. And so again, this is a post-exilic book. Keep that in mind. And keep in mind the four great leaders following the exile who came back with the people. Zerubbabel, the governor. Joshua, the high priest. Haggai, the prophet. And Zechariah, the prophet. Now, like all prophets... His message is amazing. His message is powerful. But don't forget, it's not His message. He is just the messenger of the one who gave Him the message. He is simply an agent of the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1.20 No prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But it's interesting to me, there are certain inspired writers in the Scriptures that seem to show up a lot in our studies. And it's not intentional. It's not that Rick has picked out two or three favorites and I'm going to go to them as much as I can. It's that as we have studied through the Bible, as we have gone through these different teachings, even into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Book of Revelation, 2 Timothy, we've covered those as well. It's amazing how often certain prophets show up. Isaiah is one of those. We hear a lot from Isaiah. A lot of quotes from him. A lot of quotes coming out of Daniel. Several from Ezekiel. Jeremiah. These guys we hear from a lot. Zechariah is one of these. Zechariah is one who has shown up countless times over the years where I've quoted Zechariah or said, Turn to Zechariah. And partially because of that, I have looked forward to studying through Zechariah for 11 years you know, when you're studying week to week through one book after another, there are books that you have to wait on. you, have, you got to put them off. Well, although this is a, a post-exilic book, you need to understand, and I love this, it has the same amazing power of any of the prophets before. In fact, it seems as we get toward the end of the minor prophets here that God ratchets up His, His powerful Word. It reads with the messianic fervor of an Isaiah. It reads with the metaphoric symbolism of an Ezekiel. The pure, majestic power of Daniel. As we go through Zechariah, prepare to be amazed. This is a great book of prophecy. Quick outline, if you want to jot this down just for keeping track as we go through the book. Chapters 1-6 through are eight visions. Zechariah gets eight visions, we think all on the same night. They're in 520 B.C., in that November time frame, he has these eight visions. He writes down all eight of them. Those are the first six chapters. Chapters 7 and 8, he brings four messages. They're in response to a single question, but he begins these messages, and that's the final date that we have in the book, 518 B.C., just two years later. But chapters 9 through 14 seem to come along later in the life of Zechariah, as we read two astounding apocalyptic oracles. Apop- apocalyptic oracles, that is, two prophecies of revelation. Chapters 9 through 14 is all looking forward, looking out into the distance, at least for Zechariah. And we believe these may have come as late as 480 BC. Now, I remind you of one more important thing with these dates. These are the times of the Gentiles. And you've got to remember that. These are the times of the Gentiles spoken of by Jesus in Luke 21, verse 24. And they're already now underway. Prior to Jesus coming, prior to the second fall of the temple in AD 70, all the way back, you've got to trace it back to 586 B.C. When Judah finally fell, the times of the Gentiles began to roll. And that's why this book begins with in the 8th month of the 2nd year of Darius. It doesn't begin with one of the kings of Judah. It begins with one of the kings of the Gentiles. A pagan king who, by the grace of God, allowed, sent, or was involved with supporting the people of Israel to build back in the land. By the way, verse 1 is the key verse of the entire book. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. Rick, you have a guest. We have a guest. Great. My name is I'm a friend of Tim's, Tim Oh, hi. Tim has mentioned to me that you a number of times mentioned my shop, which is the Donut Shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm <sent> from above. <laughs> you are the Donut Master. <laughs> Uh, Thank you so much. Right on. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the donut master. (laughs) Wow. But somebody saved me a chocolate. (laughs) I'm going, what is Brian, what are you guys doing? I'm trying to teach here. Brian's smiling at me. That's awesome. That's awesome. I have no idea where we were. Oh, Zachariah, right. (laughs) Zachariah is quoted or alluded to 41 times in the New Testament as Chuck Missler likes to say, that which is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. Which gives you some sense of the importance of this prophet, of the words that come through this prophet. That the New Testament writers looked back to Zechariah and said, this guy had it. This guy is right on. Remember what Zechariah said. He's speaking the words of God. Gang, that excites me about this book. It doesn't undermine any of the other prophets, but it does illuminate the speaking, the words of of Zechariah. It's Zechariah who describes Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Turn over, look, Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Where the Lord speaks and says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you know that's exactly how the triumphal entry of Jesus took place. It's Zechariah, whom Jesus famously quoted Saying in Matthew twenty six thirty one, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Zechariah thirteen verse seven. It's Zechariah who speaks of our day, our day specifically of the times between the comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, you should be familiar with this. Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. Now, Rick, why do you say that's a prophecy for this day? Well, I can count back to every American president who has tried to lift Jerusalem and show you how each and every one, including our current president, has been injured by it. Regardless of your political leanings, consider President Barack Obama today versus when he first took office six years ago. What has changed? Why is there so much anti-Obama sentiment, even among some liberals, even within the media that has been such a supporter of his for so long? Why is it such a downturn for him now? And I would submit to you one thing. He tried to lift Jerusalem. And all who do will be severely injured. Same thing happened to George W. Bush. He tried to lift Jerusalem, the road map to peace which is torn up and in a trash can somewhere, I think. All who would lift it. And of all the minor prophets, Zechariah is the one who looks the furthest forward. George L. Robinson, this is a famous quote, said the most that the book of Zechariah is the most messianic, the most truly apocalyptic and eschatological of all the writings of the Old Testament. Apocalyptic? What does that mean? Like big explosions? No. The apocalypse, it means visionary. It means revelatory. It is the most revelatory, says this one commentator, of all the prophets. It's the most eschatological. That is, things regarding to or pertaining to the end of the world. And that's the place to which Zechariah looks. And so, the message is incredibly relevant to where we sit today. He's in the company of Daniel. He's in the company of Ezekiel. And of course, John in the revelation of Jesus. You see, it's Zechariah who tells us of the very moment of Messiah's touchdown. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north, the other half will move toward the south. These are the words that come through Zechariah, and it is Zechariah through whom the Lord tells us in verse 21 of chapter 14, I just love this verse, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. Pot's not that holy in Washington these days. (laughs) And it doesn't say every one cooking pot. Every cooking pot, every bowl, every vessel that you would normally just use in the kitchen to fix a meal. In those days will be considered holy. Why? Because Jesus is there. Amen. What an amazing promise. And the powerful prophecies in this book remind us of this one simple truth. The Lord remembers. The Lord still remembers His people. The Lord remembers His plan. The Lord remembers His purpose for the entire world. Now, a couple of things for you note-takers to jot down as we get going. We'll just look at these first six verses again this morning. And think about, first of all, what I would call the obvious choice. The obvious choice. Verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, before I get to this point, let me just uh, share this one thing. It's interesting. There's a phrase that both Haggai and Zechariah use a lot in naming the Lord. Did you hear it? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. They are speaking to a downtrodden group of exiles. Some 49,000 people back in the land now, coming back from Babylon, having seen their land conquered, having lived under the oppression of Babylon, and now the oversight of Persia. These people understood what a host looked like, and it would have terrified them, and yet these two prophets say again and again, He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Boy, if anyone can bring His word to pass, it's the Lord of hosts not all these armies of men that have troubled you so far. The Lord of hosts. But again, he says, return to me that I may return to you. The obvious choice. Remember, the people were huddled in their homes. The temple foundation lay desolate. And as with so many prophets, a call to repentance was necessary. But there's something remarkable in the language of Zechariah that speaks the heart of God. Verse 3 again, Return to Me that I may return to you. The Lord desperately wants the people to repent. He wants the people to turn and come back to Him. Why doesn't He just make them do it? He's the Lord of hosts. Why not just bring them back, Lord? Why, not? Why are you saying to them, Return to me? Why don't you just return to them? Why don't you just make it happen? The obvious choice. God puts a remarkable limitation on his on himself in a relationship with man. He is still doing it today. The Lord limits himself because of his deep love for people. He says, I will limit myself to your choice. I will limit our relationship to what you want. To how much you want to be engaged, involved with me. It's up to you. I'm here. I have everything to offer. But you've got to choose that. It is the ultimate expression of love. I will wait to let you make the decision. For anyone who would say, why doesn't God just make it happen? Because He loves too much. It's the obvious choice. Jeremiah 29.11 Jeremiah sends a letter to the people when they were in exile. And the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. I'm going to do all of that once you choose me. When you pray to me. When you return to Me. The entire reason, by the way, that this 50,000 or so have newly returned from their captivity is because a few Jews like Daniel prayed to the Lord. Turned to the Lord. Remembered their God and repented. And said, forgive us. And that's all it took. That's all God was waiting for. You got it. You're back. I will bring you home. The Lord remembers you. But He wants you to remember Him. He never forgets, but He wants to stir up your memory. He calls all people to forge their faith over their forgetfulness. By the way, I think we could say forgetfulness is the opposite of faith. See, faith is, is, is wrapped up in memory, in remembering, in constantly thinking about the One in whom we have faith. Forgetfulness is setting faith aside. Forgetfulness is allowing the things of life to come rushing in. One of the the beauties of sharing in communion as often as we do is it is an act of remembrance. Because God knows even the most faithful are forgetful. We have a tendency to, to get distracted by things. And so He says, remember me. As often as you take this This is my body, Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for you. Every time you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Remember me. Come remembering. The Lord has not forgotten you. Would that we would not forget Him. By the way, related to communion, it is never about the ritual. It's about the remembrance. Amen. It's about the relationship. Return to me, and I will return to you. James wrote in James 4.8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. This is not a game He's playing. He's not, it's not hide and seek. It's an offer of a relationship with zero coercion. Zero coercion. God's not forcing the issue. He lays it all out there and He says, now, the obvious choice is yours. Verse 4, He says, do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not listen or give heed to Me, declares the Lord. (laughs) It's just, it's remarkable. The people had all the power. They had the power to make it happen or not. To accept God's offer of grace or reject it. It was in their hands. The ball was in their court. All they had to do was say, Yes, Lord. And they wouldn't do it. They refused Him. We still have that power. We can tune God in or tune Him out. We can reject Him or we can receive Him. And some will tune God out out of arrogance or rebellion. Others are just so busy. You know, this whole idea of remembering God on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in life. So many things going on. And as a prescription, I have found myself returning to this verse again and again. I've shared this with you. Psalm 131. One of the best places to go to stir up memory and to silence all the other noise. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Had the people of Judah and Israel quieted themselves before the Lord, they would have heard. A quiet child always hears his mother, hears her mother. A quiet child has no problem hearing and responding to mom or dad. A child busy at play, a child running amok, a child watching Nick Jr. is hard to get their attention. Can I get an amen, parents? When they're all busy doing all kinds of things, that's when it's hard to get them to move. Naomi, brush your teeth, sweetheart. Naomi, brush your teeth, sweetheart. Naomi, brush your teeth. Click. Naomi, brush your teeth. Oh, what? (laughs) All the distractions of life, and it's not just the kids, it's us. We get so wrapped up in getting things done in our lives. And I believe the Lord would tell you, look, I'm remembering you, but you're forgetting about me and all your busyness. Be still and know that I am God silence yourself for a moment and be quiet before me. I have heard over and over people say, why doesn't God speak more clearly? He has. We have a thick book of His words. We have His Spirit constantly moving throughout the earth searching for those whose hearts would be His. If you will be quiet before Him. And again... Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. In other words, if the written Word of God wasn't clear enough, how about the Word of God made flesh? If you're not going to listen to what I have had written down to what I spoke to you through my prophets, how about if I just come and speak to you directly? Now will you listen? The obvious choice. What the obvious choice, I think more than anything else, underscores for us is the love of God. He allows you to choose Him or reject Him. He does not force us. He does not manipulate us. He waits for us to remember Him and to consider what He's done and what He's offering and then simply to return. Verse 5. Your fathers... Where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not My words and My statutes which I commanded My servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? And that's the second thing to note. The overtaking word. The overtaking word. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, God commanded the children of Israel to do something once they crossed into the land. Through Moses... He gave this command. He said, I want you to go into the land and I want half of you to stand up on Mount Ebal. And I want the other half to stand up on Mount Gerizim with a great valley in between. And Moses it wouldn't be there. Joshua and the leaders will stand there and they're going to proclaim blessing and cursing. And you are to accept that if you are willing to accept this covenant and the people did. In fact, turn back to Deuteronomy 28. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Final book in the Torah so Deuteronomy 28 Moses is speaking this he's prescribing this for the people they will do this when they get into the land but at this time it's simply Moses speaking and he's saying verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 28 it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and note this overtake you see the Lord remembers he said through Moses in Deuteronomy my words will overtake you he says through Zechariah chapter 1 verse 5 has not my word overtaken you exactly what I said is where you are the overtaking word Oh, he goes on and he lists curse. Cursed you shall be in the city. Curse you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground. He goes on with all of these curses down through the book all the way down to verse 45. Look down there. So all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and again overtake you until you're destroyed. Because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His statutes which He commanded you, they shall become a sign and a wonder on you and on your descendants forever. And they are a sign. Not just God's Word, but Israel itself has become a sign. A sign of a people who forget. A sign of a God who does not forget and what happens? His Word overtakes Daniel chapter 9, verse 12. You can go back to Zechariah and make your way back there. Daniel chapter 9, verse 12. The prophet said, Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like was done to Jerusalem. Daniel's praying that in exile. Daniel recognized the word of the Lord spoken through Moses the prophet had overtaken the people just as God said it would. Note this in the book of Zechariah chapter 7. I know I've got you all over the place. Zechariah chapter 7. Verse 12, describing what had happened, the Lord says they made their hearts like flint. So that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. Thus the land is desolated behind them, so that no one went back and forth, for they made the pleasant land desolate the overtaking word now as we've gone through this 11 year journey through the hebrew scriptures do you recognize now understand now what paul meant when he said what happened to israel happened as an example to us upon whom have come the end of days now we can see graphically what the Lord portrayed happens when He speaks His word, His word is rejected, His word overtakes. His word never fails. Remember the stone boulder in the first Indiana Jones movie? Right? He tries to take that, that little golden head and he gets it and he looks up and oh no, here comes the boulder and he races through the whole thing all the way out, finally dies out. Alive, and the boulder is stopped at the entrance. That big, massive stone. And if you ride the ride in, in uh, Disneyland, man, I have been this close every time to getting run over by that thing. <laughs> it's incredible. I just barely get out. God's word is like that boulder, except that it's unstoppable. It doesn't hit a wall and finally cease to roll. It rolls on until it accomplishes His work. That great stone. Like Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, when the people were in exile, had this glorious vision, this this dream of this incredible statue. It built a, a, a feet of mixture of bronze and clay, and legs of iron, and a belly of bronze, and arms and and chest of silver, and a head that I know looked like Nebuchadnezzar of pure gold. And he sees this this vision. Wow, massive statue. Kind of the idolatry of humanism, looking up at the nations of man, just what that represented, and all of a sudden here comes the stone rolling. Uncontrollably, A stone not cut out by human hands, however. A stone flying through the skies. It smashes first into the feet. It crushes the statue completely. Daniel, repeating this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, said in Daniel 2.45, "...inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy." The overtaking word. Like a rolling stone nailing the nations of man, overtaking them, and that stone ultimately would become a huge mountain over all of the earth in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, representing the kingdom of God. The overtaking word. By contrast, every word of man will be silenced. Every word of woman. Ladies, you don't get out off scot-free here. Every word of woman will be silenced. Some men would say that's a lot more words than I use. I don't know. There are a lot of words out there. We do a lot of talking, a lot of writing. In fact, according to thenextweb.com, Google has taken it upon themselves to count and catalog all the world's books. Yeah, Google's audacious project to scan the world's books is one of the biggest media endeavors ever undertaken. Only a company such as Google, whose fear of daunting tasks is muted by sheer resources and intensity, would even attempt such a thing. Remember, this is a company that thought it a good plan to strap cameras on cars and drive every road of the world after all. And they were right. So after sorting for duplicates, microfilm, videos, maps, and anything else with an ISBN that has come through its listing process, the number of books, at least as well as Google can count them, comes to 129,864,880 books. That's not words. We're talking about bound books. That, by the way, doesn't include papers, web blogs, magazines, journal articles. It doesn't account for radio, TV, podcasts, YouTube, speeches, rants, sermons, or the like. All the words of humanity, so many words, are still floating out there in radio space. And it's all going to be silenced. And not a single word will remain. How many of our words really matter? After all, I like to sometimes I'll go back and look at my notes and, and I'll look at how many things I said that were just completely unimportant as opposed to the number of scriptures we approach and we read and we hear together. I would much rather you hear God's word than mine. But when you think about all these words and the cacophony of speech throughout history. It is even more impressive to me that Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The only books worth entry into the Library of Heaven's database are those of the Word of God. These 66 books. The only word spoken that overtakes. And it was because of His Word that the people responded In verse 6, Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so He has dealt with us. They accept the overtaking Word. They make the obvious choice. Because they recognize in this moment, after all the calamity that they had been through, God's Word overtakes. Always does. Always will. And we can choose to run from it or be run over by it or run in it. The obvious choice, the obvious choice is to accept the overcoming Word of God. Because you accept that Word and He enters you and continues to speak that Word to you. Now, before we finish this morning, I promise to tell you why I believe verse 1 is the key verse of the whole prophecy. So let's look at it again. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying... The key verse. Three names are given here in this introductory verse. The first you know, Zechariah. Zechariah, in the Hebrew it means the Lord remembers... And I love that here at the very tail end of things, after the exile, as the people come into the land, as things are dark by comparison to the days of David or Solomon, here at the end of things in the Old Testament, the glory of Israel's past settles like dust on Jerusalem stone. And here comes a prophet whose name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. What's interesting to me is as the New Testament begins, we meet another man whose name means the Lord remembers. Luke 1 verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. How ironic. Zacharias, his name means the Lord remembers. But I wonder if Zacharias and Elizabeth ever felt forgotten. Ever themselves thought, The Lord remembers, but He hasn't remembered us. If you ever feel forgotten, you need to know this. He never forgets. Everyone else may. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, friends may depart. As with Jesus, all the sheep scattered, and He was alone. But you know what? The Lord never forgets. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembered Zacharias and Elizabeth. Bless them with a son. You know his name, John the Baptist. He was the first Baptist. (laughs) If you ever feel forgotten, the Lord remembers. And that name of Zechariah is so powerful for that very point. He ends the Old Testament saying, the Lord remembers. He begins the New Testament saying, the Lord remembers. But there's another name, isn't there? Zechariah the prophet, the son of Barachiah. Baruch Yah. Baruch means blessing. The Lord blesses. The Lord blesses. Proverbs 10.22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and He adds no sorrow to it. You see, the Lord remembers and He blesses. It's in His heart to do so. This is how our Father relates to us. And His blessings, understand, are not the temporary, momentary blessings of the earth. Wealth, health, fleeting happiness. As John writes, the world is passing away, 1 John 2.17. And also it's lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And that's where the blessing is. I'm not saying God can't bless you with, with material things. He does that. He takes care of needs. He pours out blessing that is undeserved. I, I get that. But that's not the blessing of the Lord that makes truly rich. The blessing of the Lord that makes truly rich is only understood in terms of eternity. Amen. It's, it's beyond imagination. We, we can talk about it all we want. We still don't understand it. Ten billion years into heaven and we will still look at each other and say, this is bigger than I ever thought it could be. <laughs> and it will be bigger beyond... The blessing of the Lord. Peter called it our living hope. This is how we are to live our lives. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter three uh, one four To obtain an inheritance imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Which brings me to the third name. The Lord remembers. The Lord blesses Zachariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo, And Edo means at the appointed time. At the appointed time. The Lord remembers and the Lord blesses at the appointed time. That's the message of Zechariah. That's the whole book in miniature. God is really big on appointments. And you know when He makes an appointment, He never misses it. Jesus said, Mark 13.32, of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Zechariah, Berechiah, Edo, the Lord remembers, the Lord will bless at the appointed time. And even as the exiles were trying to scrape together some kind of life back in the land, their kingdom gutted. Who could sit on the throne? Well, we'll have Zerubbabel. He can be governor. At least he's of the line of David. Trying to pull things back together. It must have seemed, it had to have seemed like the best days of Israel were fading into the distant past. That they would never again be what they were like. So the Lord sends Haggai saying, Build my temple. Let's get things reorganized here. And the Lord sent Zechariah saying, I have not forgotten. I am going to bless you at just the right time. What is Zechariah doing with the people? Well, Haggai is helping them rebuild and build that outward structure and kind of helping them get up off of their couches and onto their feet and to restore some sense of the presence of the Lord. Zechariah starts talking about a future we haven't even seen. He starts looking down the road, bringing the Word of the Lord. He starts to stir up. Listen to this. Stir up among the people the memory of the kingdom promises. And the great blessing in that moment, in that day, in 520 B.C., the great blessing is the people for the first time could realize the kingdom of the past is not the kingdom He was talking about. He was talking about a kingdom yet to come. Isaiah was not talking about this kingdom. Here comes Zechariah pointing forward and the people, all they needed to remember was that the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at the appointed time. It was Isaiah 65. Verse twenty-two, where the Lord said, "They will not build and another inhabit; they will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, or build, bear children for calamity. And they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord, and their descendants with them." Zacharias stirred the pot of the memory of the people of the kingdom of God what a great prophecy do you know that the best blessings of the Lord are yet to come don't waste a single moment of your life looking back at what you once did or once accomplished or once experienced behind you because the days behind you are nothing compared with the blessings that are going to come at the appointed time He's not forgotten you. He has not forgotten Israel. He hasn't even forgotten me. He sent donuts this morning (laughs) to remind us. The Lord remembers. The Lord blesses at the appointed time. Let's pray. Father, Lord, Savior, thank You for remembering us. Thank You for never forgetting Thank you, Father. As I read, a a child made the comment this last week. Thank you for being you. Thank you just for being you. That is, that's great theology, Father. We thank you for who you are and for your great nature. And that in spite of our faithlessness and our forgetfulness, you never forget. You are true to your word. And I stand as one who says, Lord, may Your Word overtake all of us. May Your Word this morning overtake our hearts and our lives such that we would choose to to follow no other, to listen to no other, but Your words, Father. I pray we would be among those who make the obvious choice that You've offered us to love You and respond to You. Remind us, Father, of the kingdom glories to come. And we pray, come Lord Jesus at the appointed time. In Jesus' name, Amen.